0: The glory of God isn't just a feeling or an event or an Old Testament experience. It's a spiritual tsunami of everything contained in the character of God. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We are busy with a series called One Gospel, One Church. How many of you believe there's only one gospel? There's only one church, the Church of Jesus Christ. We are journeying through the book of Romans, and we have covered the following things. I'm going to do a quick recap The first one we spoke of was the one standard, which is God's righteousness. Then we spoke about the one way, which is faith in Jesus Christ. That's how we get the righteousness. We spoke about the one gift, who is Jesus Christ. He is the one gift, but he's the gift that keeps on giving. How many of you know that? So he is. He with him comes grace and righteousness. The one standard is all wrapped up in Him. We also get the Holy Spirit, which we spoke about later, but then we spoke about the one baptism, the reborn new creation in Christ that we are, we have the ability by the power of God to live free of sin. How many of you know that in Christ we can live free from the power of sin? How many of you believe that? It's one thing to hear it, it's one thing to believe it, it's a whole other thing to actually walk it out. And that's what we spoke about. If you missed that, please go back and listen to that. Then we spoke about one spirit, and that took us on a three-week journey. One spirit, one, two, and three. Um, And we spoke about how God gave His Holy Spirit on the same day in history as He gave His law. And we see how that through Jesus Christ, who gave us the Holy Spirit, it is possible for us to live in God's eyes as righteous people, because Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Spirit two, we spoke about the battle that we experience between the flesh that wants to sin. We saw that thing about Paul saying, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do do. (laughs) And we see that that frustration that he has, and I'm sure many of us have had that before. And then he says, but thank God for Jesus Christ, because in him we can live free. Amen? And the only thing that stands there in the way many times is our pride standing in the way of us acknowledging our need for Jesus Christ. And then we also spoke about, do I have an orphan spirit or a son spirit? If you missed any of these, please go back and listen to them. And then two weeks ago, we spoke about um, how sin is defined. We spoke about what sin actually is. Because a lot of us go, yeah, we shouldn't sin and we are made free from sin. But the question is, what is sin? And we spoke about sins, trespasses, transgressions, and iniquities. What they are, what they look like, and we read some scriptures on that. And if you want to, if you if you're still not sure or need to go check it out, go and watch that video or listen to the podcast. Um, and then we we saw that through that part in in Romans that Paul talked about. This is the thing that controls us, and it's un, it's actually a power that controls us. But if we can come from out from underneath that power, and we can be under the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean, and what does it look like? And then it was such a powerful thing that he says at the end. He says, we can put to death the deeds of the sinful nature by the power of the Holy Spirit. And, I, and I, when we did the connect groups, I asked the connect groups, so is the Holy Spirit the one who puts to death the works of sin? And the answer was, no. you, I." Are the ones who put to death the works of sin, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's important to note because some of us go, Help me, make me free from your soul. I've given you what you need to be free. Just use it. Have the revelation and use it. Amen? All right. So today, the message is one glory. We're going to talk about one glory. Which reminds me, when, um, in my early days, I did a, a musical in America, and the one song I sung was One Song Glory. <laughs> this is not that. This is, this is the glory of God. Um, I do have a picture of it. I can show you. One Glory. Can you show it, Yanni? Today's message is entitled One Glory, and we're going we're gonna, to, we, last we ended off at Romans 8.14, and we're going to pick it up at verse 15. But before we get into that, um, there, I mean, there are a few powerful truths that are in these verses, but we're going to especially focus on what is the glory of God and what's the glory of God that's available to his children, those who fear him, those who love him, those who obey him, those who believe in him and follow him. What is available to us? But we're going to start by first defining what is glory. How many of you, if I would call you up on stage right now and give you the mic and say, define glory, what would you say? Do you have any idea? If you have an idea, put up your hand, I won't call you on stage, don't worry. Anyone know what glory is? Anyone know what the glory of God is? All right, so it's good to be doing this, because there's not many hands that are going up. (laughs) Amen? Amen. All right, so there's a beautiful word in Hebrew. Um, I think it's pronounced kavot. It means importance, weight, or heaviness. The glory of God is the weight, the heaviness of God. Another translation um, takes it from the Latin, which which is gloria, which means fame and renown. It is used to describe the manifestation of, of God's presence as perceived by humans, the manifestation of the presence of God. Glory is a word used in the Bible to describe God's eternal splendor and majesty. God is described as a sovereign king whose kingdom extends all over the earth. He created people in his image to share his glory, and he endowed them with gifts, enabling them to honor him with their lives. This is a quote from Bible Life. The Gospel Coalition talks about God's glory and says, God's glory is the magnificence, the worth, the loveliness, and the grandeur of His many perfections. Yo, I like that one. John Piper says, God is intrinsically holy, and the whole earth is full of His glory. That's what we read in Jeremiah. So one could say that the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. It is the going public of his holiness. It is the way he puts his holiness on display for people to apprehend. So the glory of God is the holiness of God made manifest. Does that make sense? Does it help us to get there? Put it another way, the glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of his manifold perfections. You can see there's a similarity between that and um, the Gospel Coalition. One more definition that I found says the glory of God isn't just a feeling or an event or an Old Testament experience, it's a spiritual tsunami of everything contained in the character of God. The word glory is literally translated heavyweight, meaning the heaviest, biggest, grandest thing about God. The glory of God. Powerful. So we're going to pick up where we left off in Romans 8 from verse 15. It says, For you did not receive The spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. There's another translation that says it this way, for the spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Okay, so I'm going to do, we're going to read 15 to 25, but I'm going to break it up. So we're only going to do these now. So sometimes in order to define something or to understand something, you first have to know what it is not. I many of if you know that it helps to know what something is by knowing what it is not. Have you ever, okay. And this is what Paul is doing here in verse 15. He speaks to the church of Rome and he says, you have received something. But then he starts by saying what they have not received. So they need to be clear. This is what you haven't received, but you've received this. So, he's making a very clear distinction. He says they did not received, did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. This implies that they have received the spirit of bondage to fear before. So it would be a spirit They know it's a spirit that they are used to. How many of you know, we can prove this. How many of you know what it feels like to fear, to worry, to be anxious? Anyone know that? Okay, so you know what the spirit of fear feels like. So he's saying you don't have to receive the spirit of fear again. Are you with me? So what he is saying, how I'm seeing this, is that He says, there's been a shift. There's been a change. Things are no longer the same. It's no longer what it used to be. Are you getting that? This would remind me of 1 John 4 verse 18. It says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But the fears has not been, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love, what is this saying? The scripture is saying that if we are in Christ Jesus, we don't have to fear anything that this world can throw at us. This is the fear of anything else but God. There's a difference between fearing God, a holy fear, and reverence to the holy God, and being scared of stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you still struggle with fear of daily things, it might be that you still have a journey to be made perfect in the love of God. And that's a hard thing to admit sometimes. But the good news is that if you struggle with fear, what does it mean? It means I need to get closer to God so that He can love me more. Amen? When the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us, it is because we have had a revelation of his love for us and now we choose to love him back, which is part of what love key stands for. And this is why Paul first says that what we did not receive, so that, we can now, so that he can deliver the amazing truth of what we did receive. So we did not receive a spirit of fear again. That's not what it is. Why is he saying that? So that you don't get confused. So that if you do receive a spirit of fear, like, uh uh-uh, uh, no, this is not what I received. If I am in Christ and I have received the Holy Spirit, this is not what I've received. All right? Does it make sense? But what have you received? He says you've received a spirit of adoption. And this spirit of adoption causes us to do something, it creates a reaction in you. And that reaction is that we cry out, it's a big reaction. It is a loud reaction. It does not say it because it it doesn't say we get the Spirit and then we whisper. Abba, Father. It doesn't say we speak. Abba, Father. It says we cry. The Amplified says we joyfully cry. And the Greek word is krasomen, which means to scream, to shriek, and to cry out. Yes, the Greek says that. This is tough for some of us white Afrikaans people. Don't expect me to scream at anything else but rugby. (laughs) How can I scream or cry aloud to God? That's not done. It's not proper. If I moved in church, my mom pinched me. Let alone open my mouth. You see how many of us have these preconceived ideas of who God is, but if we truly receive a spirit of adoption, and I get the revelation, there should be a reaction that is loud, amen, yo, listen to this, has fear, now, he's opposing fear and adoption. He's saying that when you receive the spirit of adoption, there's a reaction. Now, let me ask you about the first one that he mentions. Have you ever cried because of fear or any other emotion? Cried? Did you, did you ugly cry? Like like loud? Anyone? Ugly cry before? Yes. We've all been there. Have you ever been so afraid or something frightened you so much that you screamed? That you shrieked? Anyone? Ah come now, stick your hand up. All right, so if fear can make you cry and make you scream and make you shriek, why can the spirit of adoption not make you scream, cry and shout in a positive way for Jesus? This is what Paul is asking us. It brings a different cry. The adoption of God brings a different kind of cry. It's a one of joy. It's Italian. It's a one of a joy. (laughs) That's not what I meant to do. (laughs) It's one of joy. It's one of excitement. It's one of zeal, of passion, and victory. Yo. How many of you have seen Christians and it looks like they're on their way to a funeral all the time? Oh my word, I don't want what you have. How many of you have met someone that is so So part of who God is that this love and grace and peace and joy just comes out of them and you go, wow, I want what you have. Some of us might be the cause that no one wants to come to to church. When I look at your face and I hear what your mouth says, it's like, what? You love Jesus, but it looks like, let's not go into that. But let what you really believe show on your face. Amen? My wife and I have all had our experiences, me with shows and speaking in front of people, her with speaking in front of people, and sometimes you look at the crowd and you go, this is not going well. Because if I gauge, based on your faces, how my, how my sermon or my speech or my show is going, it's not going well. I mean, a letter once at an event where she, she's like, when I'm done, I'm leaving out the back door. I don't want to see anyone. They hated this. And then she went to her table afterwards, and the people came up, That was amazing. That was the best talk I've ever heard in my life. And she was like, can you tell your face that? Because I'm standing here looking at you, and all I see is this. Wake up! Show the speaker what you are feeling. Okay, it helps us. Or just go every now and again. Amen. I don't care. I don't care. But do you get this? If the spirit of adoption comes upon you, this Paul says there's a reaction. It is to cry, scream, shriek out of joy and passion. No, sorry. I'd rather scream at fifteen men on a field that don't know me when they take a rubber ball and put it over a line. Then I'll go, ah yes. But not for the God who created the universe and made me and loved me so much that He died for me. Sorry, I can't. I can't scream for Him. Sorry, I can't. It's just not in my culture. <laughs> Let your culture die. And get into the culture of heaven. The culture of heaven has millions of angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come over and over and over again. Because every time they look at God, they see something new, they go, whoa, that's amazing. But if you don't spend time with God, you won't see new sides of God. You won't have the revelation. You won't see more of his glory. So you just become complacent. And you're one of these Christians that you want to run away from. Why are we not Christians that lead people to Christ just because they want to be in our presence because we've been in God's presence. Every human being intrinsically wants to get back with the Father. And we can be like the Father, like His Son Jesus, and like His Spirit if we spend time with Him. So that our cup is so overflowing with who He is that when we are with people, they go, wow, I don't know what it is, but I love being around you. I want some of what you've you've had. So what do we cry? What do we scream when the spirit of adoption comes upon us? It's the word Abba. Father. Out of the life-changing revelation we receive when we hear the one gospel for the one church about the one standard we can step into by the one way, faith in Jesus Christ, through which we receive the one gift, Jesus Christ Himself, and through Him we gain access to grace and righteousness and the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, the one Spirit, and through Him we receive the revelation that God is our Father. that, That ushers in the spirit of adoption, and this revelation hits us. And we cannot but cry, scream, wow, Abba, Father, thank you. That's what should happen. The master of the universe, the king of the hosts of heaven's armies, the one who created all things, he is my Abba. He is my Father. He loves me like a daddy. I should be going, woohoo! I'm, you know, I'm, just, I'm an introvert, you know. So I, I can't do that. For you died, and Christ is alive in you. <clears> There's <throat> nothing against the introverts. I know that we have different personalities. But something spiritual and eternal should happen in all of us, no matter what our personalities, when the spirit of adoption comes upon us. Come on, huh? Yes. Have you ever had this revelation? Have you received the spirit of adoption and had your moment where you cried, Abba Father? Anyone? I had mine, I had mine when I was 16. October 1994, I ran onto the beach at Claymont, and I just shouted and screamed, and I I couldn't contain what just happened to me. I'm an introvert, believe it or not. I'm a recovering introvert. (laughs) Hello, my name is Heinz, and I used to be an introvert. (laughs) By God's grace, I can stand here and do this. The first time I played guitar in front of people, I was like this. No one must just, I don't want to look up, I don't want to see anyone. I had stage fright. (laughs) This is God. This is what happens when you spend time with Him. You die, and He comes alive. And something else changes and happens. (laughs) So if you've had this revelation, Has there been moments where the spirit of fear came in again and wanted to win? Or does it happen every now and again? You see, if fear of the unknown, if worry, anxiety still rules your heart and mind, it could be that you've not actually received the spirit of adoption. That brings the revelation that you are now a child of God. If you really have had that moment and then fear and anxiety has come back and is ruling your life, you might have to get a new revelation of who he is and who you are in him. Because the enemy will keep coming back trying to distract you, trying to tell you that, no, 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 the stuff you're fearing is more important and bigger than what God is. But it's not, amen? My daughter, Alana, when she, she feels safe when she's in my arms. That's, that's her favorite place to be. Well, maybe my wife's arms as well. But there's something about a dad and a daughter and a, a dad and a son. That, that when, when, when There's any kind of situation where she's uncertain or she feels shy or there's a new person in the house or whatever it might be. Her favorite place to be is right here, by my side, in my arms. Then she feels she can face anything. The body language completely changes and, and she feels completely safe and doesn't fear anything that's happening around her. And so what is adoption? What is spirit? Because to understand what a spirit of adoption is, we need to know what is adoption and what is a spirit. Now, my daughter never went through a process of adoption. She just knows I'm a dad. And she just knows that with me she's safe. And that's how we should be with our Father in heaven. But there was a point when when I knew that Aletta was pregnant and we started praying for her that in my heart there it wasn't adoption, but it was taking the choice to be her father. And that, that became her identity is the fact that she is my daughter. And that's what should happen with us and God. Now, adoption is the action of legally taking over being a parent and a guardian of a child and raising that child as your own. Adoption implies that the child had original birth parents. Would you agree? Okay. It implies that the child belonged to someone else. It can also mean that the child was was abandoned or rejected, but they were birth parents. Would you agree? And how many of you know that we were all born sinners? We've established that in the last few weeks. We all fall short of the glory of God, and in our default state, we are ruled by what? The father of lies. So, being born in a sinful state, we have a father. We were birthed in sin, he's the devil. He is the father of liars, which means he's the best liar, which means he'll use your circumstances to convince you of an identity that's not true. And that's where most people are stuck. His house, the father of liars' house, has an atmosphere of fear, rejection, and abandonment. Now, through Jesus Christ, if we receive him as the Son of God and our Lord Jesus Savior— And Savior, we don't receive the spirit of fear, which we've already received since birth, but we now receive the spirit of adoption. And a spirit is what? Something that's unseen, something that's supernatural with special abilities, and it has an origin. Every spirit comes from somewhere and has an assignment. Would you agree with that? It's either from God or it's from the devil. It's either from the father of lights or from the father of lies. So the spirit of adoption we know is from God is a supernatural gift of sonship that we have access to through Christ and that sonship is a spiritual term it's not a gender term so just know that it includes everyone the spirit of adoption gives as a gift of sonship to all who believe in Christ that's amazing I'm impressed I don't know if you're impressed but now that should make you want to cry Hallelujah, I have an Abba Father. Now, the next part of the scripture says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. We can put up this part. This is the next part. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That's from the Living Translation. Listen, there's a common union between our redeemed, saved spirit and the spirit of God. Can you see that? It says that our spirit and the spirit of God has a connection. Must I read it again? (laughs) The spirit of adoption bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Bears witness. The other way of saying it is he joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children the the spirit of God communicates this truth that we have received the spirit of adoption to our spirits so what you need to see is a picture where the spirit that you are that's the most important part of who you are that's the part that gets regenerated when you become a Christian that's what actually becomes new is your spirit man when that becomes new then that is what now that is communicating with the Holy Spirit So I want you to see there's a conversation happening inside the spiritual realm between your spirit and the spirit of God. And he's saying to you, you are a son of the living God. You are a daughter of the living God. This means that if you truly have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you have been baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit, but you still, or later on, struggle with fear, or you doubt your status with God, it is not because your spirit doesn't know it. It's because the spirit of adoption, because the spirit of, of adoption has affirmed it in you. So it can only mean that your body and soul are still going on old information. And you're, and, and, and it's lying to you based on the past. What is What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that, If you are born again, truly born again, and only you will know that, and you still struggle with continual fear, anxiety, and worry, it could be that you are still listening more to your physical body and soul than you are listening to your spirit that has become new. Does that make sense? Because if you don't listen to the spirit that already knows you are adopted by God, you will be listening to this flesh box and the soul of emotions in your mind that's inside of you, and that will become your reality and your narrative. And don't we see that many people are stuck in that? It's because we don't spend enough time in the Word of God. It's because we don't spend enough time in the presence of God. Because then our spirit will be fed and it will become stronger, and the truth that our spirit is, being, is hearing from the Spirit of God will become more prevalent in our minds than the truth that our body and our soul is trying to tell us. Does that make sense? This is where we need to renew our mind by meditating on the Word of God and minimizing the input from the world. What are you listening and reading most? Hour-wise, what is your hours spent on? The hours of your day, your week, your month. Because out of the abundance of the heart, you'll see what's really going on. You see, the heart's part of the soul. When you, everything you look at, everything you read, Picard told us this last week how many images we see and how that forms how we are on the inside. But we need to make sure that we are filled with the truth of the Word of God and that that speaks to us as to who we are and who God is. The The main thing that can stand in the way are wounds from the past that have not been taken care of. The wounds can become your crutch. Don't let it happen. If, if what you are feeling is not in line with, with the, what the Word of God says about you, then the Word of God is not wrong. It means that you just have to get a revelation or healing or a breakthrough. And we are here to help you with that. This is amazing. This is amazing. This is where truth breaks, brings us from a place of brokenness and worry and fear and takes us to the freedom where it means to be adopted by Jesus Christ. But can we just take a moment again and just go, wow. The Spirit of God communicates with my spirit. Let that just sink in, because I think some of you didn't know that before today. And maybe you thought you knew, but you don't really have a revelation. But let let that become a revelation. Amen? All right, now we continue with Romans. It says then, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. There's that word glory. We serve a glorious Father in heaven who has given us access to his glory. Okay, so Paul is really good at building an argument and teaching principle upon principle. Have you noticed that? He's building, he's building, he's building throughout the whole book of Romans. We've been seeing that now. He is now established that those who are born again are children of God through the spirit of adoption. And now the legal implication kicks in. What is the legal implication of a child who did not have a father but now has a new father? The legal implication is that you are now an heir of that person. That father is now legally your dad, and whatever belongs to that father now belongs to you. And not just that, by implication, you are a joint heir or a co-heir with Jesus Christ. If the church can really get this, everything will change. I just told you what Paul told us, which is that God who created everything made you his child through his son, Jesus Christ. And because you are his child, you are an heir. See, most of you think, man, I wish I was an heir of Elon Musk (laughs) or Jeff Bezos or whoever has the most money in the world. I would like to be their heir because then I could get their money. But through Jesus Christ, You are an heir to the one who made that rich person and gave them everything they have. You're an heir of the one who owns everything, holds everything, is in charge of everything. Some of you are hearing me, but you don't believe me. And and I know this because if the church really got this, then the world would look different. God has made this available. He says you are an heir and a co-heir with Jesus Christ. What is an heir? A person legally entitled to the property or rank of another after that person's death. It's also a person who inherits and continues the work of a predecessor. There's property and there's work that can be inherited by someone who's an heir. So through Jesus Christ... Born again believers are people who are legally entitled to the property and the work of God. Put more spiritually, believers have co-ownership access to everything that belongs to God and that Jesus has received. Co-ownership with everything that belongs to God and everything that Jesus received. I have a whole sermon about all things So many scriptures upon scriptures upon scriptures that talks about how Jesus has all things. Everything has been given to him. God made everything and holds everything together and he made it through and for and to his son, Jesus Christ. We get this from multiple scriptures. Who is the firstborn of all things and is preeminent in all things. Who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Who has healed the sick, cast out demons and raised the dead. We are heirs and co-heirs of them. You don't get it. If you got it, you would be screaming, Abba, Father. We are heirs and co-heirs of the master of the universe and his son. Wow. Let that sink in. Can we thank God for that? Can we just give him a praise offering and go, wow, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. By you, this is possible. Now, that, that, is, that is the nice part of what Paul is saying. You are heirs and co-heirs. Yes, thank you. I would like to stop there. But then it goes on to say, if. I don't know if you've been in this church for a while. You know that I've spoken about many if and then moments in the Bible. If, then. This is one of those, one of the big ones. He says, if indeed we have a party, are comfortable, have every convenience possible, have more than enough money, suffer, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified Together, there are conditions to being heirs and co-heirs. And the condition is to suffer with him. We get this great promise. The spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, is ours. We are his children. And if you are his children, we are heirs and co-heirs. But there's a caveat, a proviso, a condition. And that is if we suffer with him. And then it hooks a new promise: we are glorified with them. I believe this speaks of covenant, and it speaks of what the Christian life actually entail entails. Covenant, because when you are in covenant with someone, it is a 100 percent, 100 percent commitment for life from both parties. It is not a contract. A contract is 50-50. I get out if these clauses are not made. I get out if I don't like it anymore. I get out if you don't do your part. That's a contract. Covenant is 100%, 100%. Jesus has already given all. Will we give all? Will we come on board and say 100% commitment of, of my life to Jesus Christ? And because... Whatever, what happens in a covenant is that whatever your assets and liabilities are, I inherit them. And whatever my assets and liabilities are, you will inherit them. So as co-heirs with Jesus Christ, we have to share in his suffering. But notice that it says, with him. You're not going to suffer alone. You're going to suffer with him. And if you have a church around you, though we, tr- we do this together as well. We walk with Jesus and we walk with each other. And when there's suffering, we go through it. What did Winston Churchill say? If you find yourself going through hell, keep on going. Because you'll get to the other side. That's not what he said. I'm doing that wrong. But it, that's kind of the point of his saying. When we have the promise of being glorified, It's also a promise that's together with Christ. So we suffer with him in order to be glorified with him. What suffering is he talking about? Let us continue reading and we'll find out. It says, Paul says, Then I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So Paul talks about the sufferings of this present time. As if it's like the suffering of Christ, it would be persecution for what you believe and stand for. It will be mockery, scoffing, ridicule, verbal abuse, physical abuse, and martyrdom. If the suffering you go through in this time is like Christ's, then it will be that. Persecution, mockery, scoffing, ridicule, all kinds of abuse. That is what Jesus went through. How many of us have bled For our faith. Anyone? How many of us have been put in jail for what we believe in? How many of you have been mocked or ridiculed or verbally abused in person or online for what you believe in? The persecuted church in many nations around the world will understand this passage much better than we will. Their idea of suffering is much different from our idea of suffering. We need to be honest about that. We are very comfortable. And I do not believe we really understand the kind of suffering that Christians are supposed to go through in order to have the inheritance that Paul speaks of here. And thank God. We are very privileged and blessed. But I believe a time is coming where this will change. And I'm not a doomed prophet. I've read the Bible and I see the end. There's a time coming where your faith will be tested, where you will suffer a form of persecution if you stand for the truth of the gospel. The only way you will avoid persecution and suffering with Christ is if you stop standing because you don't want to face the mockery, the voices, the things that are happening in our world right now. You're like, I can't deal with this. I'd rather just renounce that I'm a Christian and not have any trouble because it's coming. It's already happening. They're changing laws, to grab your children away from you. They are criminalizing being a Christian in law right now in our nation. It's already happened in Canada. They're arresting pastors. It's going to happen here as well if we don't stand up and pray and make a difference. But even if they get it through, you need to know the day is coming where your faith will truly be tested. And we need to be ready. That is why this is a church for warrior Christians. Amen? And this is why we are getting prepared, and this is why we need to read these things. But I have a thought that I want to share with you. What if we are not seeing the fullness of the inheritance we should have from God and as co-heirs of Jesus Christ because we've not stepped into the fullness of suffering with Jesus? See, many of us struggle to believe that I am an heir of God and a co-heir with Jesus Christ because I look at my life and I go, well, if I am an heir of God and of Jesus Christ, why am I struggling? Why don't I have enough money? Why this? Why that? Why has this prosperity teaching not really happened in my life? And you go, well, that must not be true. Because my experience opposes what the word of God says. Also, earlier when I said you are an heir of God, none of you really had a reaction. You were more like, that's nice. Why? Let me get up on your business. It's because you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Because you still think seeing is believing. And the word of God says, believing is seeing. I believe I am an heir of God. If I'm not seeing what that means in the physical realm right now, it means I'm missing something. It doesn't mean God is wrong. This is a pattern that I see in the world right now. Oh, but my experience. Oh, but my feelings. Oh, but my circumstances. So God must be wrong. No. The Word of God stands. The Word of God is infallible. It is the Word of God. It is written by the Holy Spirit through men. It will stand the test of time. There's been many Christians before you. They probably will be after you as well. Unless Jesus comes next year like my wife thinks. Sorry, two years from now. Two years from now, sorry. Guys, it's near. I know it's near. I'm just joking, but I know it's near. But how are we living right now? This is important. So here's the question again. What if we haven't seen what we think we should see as heirs of God because we haven't suffered the way that God says we are to suffer. So the extent to which you haven't suffered for Jesus with Jesus is the extent to which you won't see the blessings as an heir of God. Does that make sense? I'm asking the question. In Western churches, we complain if the sound is too loud. We complain when the words are unclear on the screen or not there at all. We complain that the coffee is not hot enough, the hall is too cold, the service is too early, the service is too late, the service is too long. We have all these complaints. Our persecuted church brothers and sisters in Christ hide from secret police. Their lives are constantly in danger. They are meeting in holes in the wall. They walk in pairs of two because if they gather, they're in trouble. Some of the churches in underground China, the pastor prays and asks Holy Spirit, where should we meet? The Holy Spirit gives them a download of where they should meet. He doesn't tell anyone. He just goes there. The church knows by now they should pray the same prayer. They all get the same download of the same location and then they meet there. This happens over and over and over again. People get upset with me if I don't change the address for this place quick enough. They memorize the whole Bible or parts of the Bible because if they are caught with the Bible, they are killed. Many of us have more than five Bibles in our house. How many of them have been read? They do not know what it is like to have the freedom to gather in a public school hall with loud praising worship music playing without the possible consequence of being arrested. They don't know what that is. They have no idea what we have. And we have no idea what they have. And we need to just take a moment and, re- and realize that. And while we thank God for the privileges we have, let us not take it for granted. Let us pray for our brothers and sisters that have the suffering on a next level. And I want I want you to know that if you suffer on that level, maybe they understand what it means to be an heir of God and a co-heir of Jesus Christ in a way that we don't. Can you see that? Because if you think being an heir of God and a co-heir of Jesus Christ is only monetary value and physical wealth, you miss it so badly. It can be that, but it's so much more. Are we on the same page? Then he continues, he says all of this about who we are in Christ and what our the identity in Christ is, and he says that we will suffer with Jesus and for him to receive the glory, and then he says why. He starts the next sentence with the word for. He says, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits For the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now, together until now. I don't want to get into a debate About whether climate change is real or not, not. But what what is clear from Scripture is that sin has had it is having an effect on all of creation. Can you see that? The fall of man didn't just have an effect on people; it had an effect on the whole of creation. And I can go into a whole thing to explain why. No, I won't go into that. It's going to take too much time. So much I want to say. But let's just focus on that for a moment. It's clear from Scripture that sin had an effect on the creation. Are we there? Death and decay comes from the sinfulness of a broken world. Okay, so now do you see that creation is referred to in the same way that a person is referred to? It's, it's like a live entity. The creation groans have you heard a person groan? The creation is groaning. Many times in the Bible, that we, we, can, school, uh, we can see that inanimate objects are called as if they are alive. There's a moment where someone challenges Moses in the Bible, and they, they say he shouldn't be our leader. He doesn't know what he's doing. Moses says, if I be a man of God, let the earth swallow up this man. The next moment, the earth opens up, and the guy falls into a crevice, and it closes back up. Can you think that the fear of God fell in that place? And for Moses? Whoa. Don't get on Moses' bad side. I dream of a day where I can be on a national or an international platform and say, if I be a man of God, dot, dot, dot. We'll see what the Holy Spirit wants. But we see that creation is waiting for something. It is groaning and waiting for something. What is it waiting for? It's waiting for the revealing of the sons of God, the children of God. It's waiting for the revealing of it. What does it mean? It means that it's not revealed yet or not to the fullness that it can be revealed to. These who we just heard have become children by adoption. They are the hope of the creation for deliverance from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There's a glory that awaits us. The glory of God that's a promise for us as the children of God. This same glory is only accessible by creation through us. Can you see that? It's not Greta Thunberg who's gonna save the planet, it's Christians. You don't get it. It's exciting. Through the the, the sons and daughters of God who get this, creation will be saved. Our identity in God through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is one of hope, of glorious liberty, which will follow our temporary earthly sufferings. The glory made available to us will be available to all of creation as well. Come on. We will save the planet. Can you see how the enemy has distorted this? And he's making out as if Christians are the bad guys when it comes to ruining the planet. But actually in us, through us, the planet will be saved in the eternal plan of God. Wow. I'm having a great time. Are you guys still good? Okay, we're going to do the last few verses. Are you still with me? All right. Paul then says, not only that. I love it when he does that. But we also have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope if, for what one sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. I love it when Paul does this. It's like a very mock ad. He says, But wait, there's more. You've had all these promises, promises, promises. He says, now there's one more promise. He says, we receive the first fruits of the Spirit because we have the same problem as creation. We groan within ourselves because deep down we know that our sinful state is not our true identity. And then when we do get saved and we have access to all these things, we still have a sense of there's more. Why? Because we're still in our mortal bodies and have our earthly soul while having a new creation spirit within us that can commune with the Holy Spirit. And as our spirit grows more mature and stronger, we know and see more and more how much we and the world around us need Jesus. We see it. The more you grow in Christ, the more your heart for the lost friends around you will grow. We all need to still be transformed into the ultimate glorified versions of ourselves. And that day is coming. There are temporary things to suffer right now, but the glory is coming. There are things we have to walk through out now in these bodies and souls, but the glory is coming. The promise is coming. And because we know this, because we know we serve a glorious God who have promised us part of His glory if We persevere in suffering with Jesus and if we stand strong and hold fast, we will receive the crown of glory. Just as Jesus endured the cross for the joy and the glory set before him, we need to have the same attitude in life. I will because Christ has. I will because I can. I will because the Spirit of God is the Spirit inside of me. And I can say, I have the Spirit of adoption by which I cry, Abba, Father, lead me. Amen? Let us stand together and respond to the Word of God. So I want to ask this question again. This question that I asked a few weeks ago, based on everything that you've heard today. Is what you are living for worth what Christ died for? Is what you are living for worth what Christ died for? Is how you live worth what Christ died for?